Lord, we pray that you will speak to us through your word. We pray that we will hear in our hearts that you will shape and fashion us in your likeness, make us more like Jesus, that we will be doers of the word and not just hearers of the word. We thank you that you have given your word to us to make us wise for salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. With so many denominations out there, we've got us, you know, just, just, just in this town, we've got ourselves, we've got the, uh, the Seventh-day Adventists, the Catholics, the Lutherans spread a little wider, we've got the Uniting Church, we've got the Baptists over in, uh, in Gamaraka, we've got the Church of Christ over in Kersbrook, and then there's, you know, there's some that even aren't represented in our area. With all the different denominations that exist, with all of the little differences between us, with all of the things that we might like to uh, argue or uh, discuss at our Bible study groups. This series is we're going to get into, starting off today, is all about what are the core things that we need to know, that we need to believe to be a follower of Jesus. Because we've sort of, I've spoken up front, I think there are a lot of the differences that we have as Christians are about things that we're allowed to disagree on, things that aren't a matter of whether people will be saved or not. But what are the things that are at the very centre of our faith? What are the core things that we should believe, that we need to follow, or need to know and believe to follow Jesus? That's the idea behind this series, and this series was a suggestion, something that somebody in our congregation asked for, drawn from, of all things, the constitution that we've been going through recently as our church has our statement of faith in it. And being an interdenominational church, our statement of faith is something that's built of the things that we think, these are the things you have to believe. Never mind all those things that we're allowed to disagree on. These are the things that we have to believe to be followers of Jesus. And number one tells us, and this is going to be our focus this morning, as a church body, we believe the Bible to be the divinely inspired and authoritative word of God. It's our final authority to show us what we should believe and how we should live as God's people. And it comes, uh, that bit in our statement of faith, it comes with a number of passages, and we'll just look at them very quickly now. From 2 Timothy 3, 15 to 17. From infancy... You have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Concerning this salvation, oh, this is 1 Peter 1, 10 to 12 now. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah, of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told, are told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. 
Even angels long to look into these things. 2 Peter 1, 20-21 Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And last, the last passage that's put with that uh, statement of faith, Psalm 19, 7-11. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. So where do we get the idea that the Bible is inspired by God? Where do we get the idea that it has authority over us as human beings? Well, we get that idea from the Bible, which might raise the question, is that circular reasoning to believe that the Bible is God's word, is divinely inspired because the Bible tells us that it's divinely inspired? That might be something people have wrestled with before, have thought about. There are a number of reasons why I believe it's God's word, why I believe that we should trust it when it says that this is God's revelation to us. Uh, one, we know it's a highly accurate book in terms of the things that it talks about historically match up very well with the historical events that happened. We know, for example, there were some people who... There was a time when people were trying to discredit the Gospel of John because you know, it points to this pool where Jesus went and healed a paralytic man. And they said this pool doesn't exist. So therefore, you know, how can we trust what these things say until they were digging a new pipeline in the city of Jerusalem and what did they find? They found the pool that was mentioned in John. So it's highly accurate. The second reason I believe that we should trust that the Bible says that it's God's word, is if we believe God exists, if we believe God is sovereign, then that means that he is in control of his word, that he is sovereign over what is written in his word. So I find it difficult to believe in the idea that there is an all-powerful God, but that his Bible is full of stuff that isn't what he wanted to actually tell us. But the last reason that I trust the Bible is because I look at Jesus and there's something about him that I trust. I look at Jesus and there's something about him that's completely different from the culture that he lived in, from our culture we live in today and from any other culture that's ever existed. And I look at Jesus and you know, I believe this is what the Bible talks about. This is the spirit testifying to us that this is truth. So that's why I believe that the Bible is God's word, even though it's the Bible telling us that. So when it comes to our core beliefs, our statement of faith, it starts with the Bible. And it needs to start with the Bible because the Bible is how we know about all of the other things 
that are the key parts of our statement of faith. It's the basis for everything else. As uh, the title is taken from that phrase in 1 Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed. All of it is God's revelation to us. And all of it is authoritative. And we've got that up on the word, uh, on the screen there. That is, all of it is truth, whether we like it or not. And all of it has a bearing on how we live our lives and what we do. And we might not like thinking of God's word as authoritative. We often think of authority in a very negative sense. In our culture, the air we breathe is to be sceptical and uh, you know, afraid and, and against authority. And the world we live in, the authorities that people are against are often imperfect or you know, sometimes even corrupt. There is problems with our authorities in this earth, but good authority is a good thing. Good authority gives us certainty. Good authority gives us a firm foundation. Imagine you're up in a little two-seater aeroplane and you know, you're, you're sitting there and the pilot's next to you and then you know, the, the pilot knocks his head against the, the window and he's out cold. And you've got the controls there in front of you and you've got no idea what you're doing. And this is kind of the, the state that we're in as we come into the world that we live in. We're up there, we're, things are happening and we've got very little control over what's going on. And you get on the radio and you start calling for help and then you get, a, you get a response and this guy starts telling you, oh, here's what you should do. And you say, oh, have you ever flown an airplane before? Oh, no, 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 but I've watched plenty and I think I've got it all figured out. How confident are you feeling in that, at that point in time? And then another voice comes on the radio and that voice is a professional, you know, a flying instructor who's not only spent lots of time flying planes himself, but he's taught plenty of other people to fly planes. And he tells you what to do. Now, granted, you're probably still a little bit, you know, afraid up there in your aeroplane, but you'd be feeling a little bit more confident in what you're doing with that voice coming in over the radio. That's the difference authority makes. That's the difference that somebody who knows what they're talking about makes. And when it comes to our world, the one who has authority, the one who knows what is best in our world and what is best for us, is the one who made our world and who made us. Authority is a good thing if the authority is good. And our authority, our God, is good. And so, when it comes to God's word, we know that it comes to us from somebody who wants the best for us and from somebody who knows what is the best for us. 2 Peter 1, as I read out before, it tells us that what's written is not what the prophets guessed would happen, is not what they sat down and studied their tea leaves and checked it against their charts and figured out that that meant that this was going to happen. It wasn't them you know, being like the ancient philosophers who spent half an hour studying a snail moving and decided they'd discovered the meaning of life, the universe and everything. It tells us that what the prophets of the Old Testament, what the people who wrote down the Bible told us was what God had told them. 
that it is God's word to us. The Bible might have 40 authors, but it's God's word. And it talked about, um, in, in that 2 Peter passage, it talked about them you know, being carried along in the Holy Spirit to write God's word to us. Now, sometimes we can have funny ideas about the inspiration of the Bible. It wasn't as though God possessed the authors and had them write down word for word exactly you know, how he you know, might have put it in, in that word for word sense. Because as we read the different authors of the Bible, we see they've each got their unique style. They've each got their unique things that they, they emphasise. They've got their you know, words that they like to repeat over and over again. They, they were consciously involved in what they were writing and God was working through everything they were writing to express what he wanted written to his church and to his, to his Old Testament people, even before the church. So the Old Testament is a lot of what this is talking about when they talk about, for all scripture is God-breathed. Do we know whether they thought of the New Testament as authoritative? We do, actually. We have this from 2 Peter 3, 15 to 16. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him, he writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. So there you go. Peter tells you, that it's okay if you find Paul hard to understand sometimes. <laughs> His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Peter is putting Paul's letters on the level of scripture here. And Paul likewise, he quotes, this one's a little bit, um, and I didn't spot this one myself, but this one's a little harder to see. He writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, For scripture says, Do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Now, it's not immediately obvious from the text, but what's interesting is that first bit about muzzling the ox is from Deuteronomy, but the bit about the worker deserves his wages, that's from Luke's gospel. That's the words of Jesus to his disciples. For scripture says... So the whole Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, is scripture. It's God-breathed. It's authoritative. It has big implications for how we come to the Bible today because what it means is if the whole Bible is God's word, we can't get rid of anything that we don't like. If we don't like something Paul said, well, I'm sorry, but that's something God said. Now, and the difficulty is, that's not something we want to be smug about and look at all those people out there who don't like you know, what Paul says about sexual immorality. Or, but it's also for us to look closely at ourselves and say, what are those parts of the Bible that maybe I haven't torn out of the book, but I like to pretend aren't there? Maybe it's the bit about caring for the foreigners and the refugees among us. Maybe it's the bit about loving other people as Christ has loved me and treating other people as better than myself. If the whole Bible is God's word, and you know this convicts me as much as anybody else in this room, then all of it is God's word. 
And we need to hold on to and trust in those parts that tell us, you know, that go against what we might want. And if the whole Bible is God-breathed, that means that all of it is useful. As, he, as Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The whole Bible teaches us about God and what he's done for us and how he loves us. The whole Bible points us to Jesus. The Old Testament points us to why we needed Jesus. And the New Testament points us to how Jesus is the answer to all of the problems in our world and all of my problems, the problems between me and God, the problem of my sin and my rebellion against God. The Bible tells us how to live in light of the salvation that Jesus has won for us at the cross. But we do need to be careful as we come to the Bible. When we say all of Scripture is God-breathed, all of it is useful, that doesn't mean that it all flatly applies to us in exactly the same way. We don't go to the Old Testament and see that you know, we can't eat bacon and we can't have blended fabrics and we're not allowed to grow out our sideburns and all of those things because the Old Testament law says you can't do those things. And that's not because we've taken out part of the Bible that we don't like. It's because the Bible itself specifically tells us that the early church, they had a big meeting about whether Gentiles who became Christians had to follow the law of Moses and what God told them was, no, they don't. And yet we hear so much of, so much of what's behind the laws of the Old Testament Love for neighbours, love for God. You know, all of the, the, the Ten Commandments sort of things. Don't kill, don't steal. No committing adultery, no sexual immorality. All of those things are repeated to us throughout the New Testament. As these, are, these are things that will draw us away from God. These are things that we should not uh, choose to be doing. Although there is always forgiveness when we do fall short and when we ask him for forgiveness. But Jesus was able to look at all of that Old Testament law and he was able to condense it to two things. All of the law hangs under these two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. The Bible teaches us. The Bible trains and encourages us. And sometimes the Bible corrects and rebukes us. But always in love always drawing us back to God who created us. And their wisdom, we talked about being wise for salvation, wisdom is following it even if we don't always understand. Through the Bible, God speaks to you. The whole Bible, it tells us, is God-breathed. What happened when God breathed into Adam? He came alive. He went from being a mound of dirt to a living, breathing human being. All scripture is God-breathed. It is alive. It is living and active. And it does what he wants it to do. 
And as we come to God's word, whether it is from Matthew's gospel, whether it's from the book of Revelation, whether it's from Leviticus, we come to God's word, we read it, and we can look at it and say, what does this show me about God? What does this show me about me, about humanity, and our need for God, our need for a saviour? What does it show me about how I can respond to God's love with a life shaped by gratitude? Because that's what all the things that we're called to do in the Bible are. They're not do this so that you can be saved. They're because Jesus has saved you. This is how you can show your love in response. And that makes a world of difference. So we come to the Bible, we read it. And it always has something to teach us. And sometimes, as Peter told us, sometimes bits can be hard to understand. And other Christians have valuable wisdom. It can be good sometimes to go to a commentary, to a book that can help us to understand things more. But always remember that God's word alone is authoritative. And other people's interpretations of God's word, we can learn a lot from. But we don't treat them with the same authority we treat the word itself. In the Bible, as we come to it, the infinite God makes himself known to us as much as he possibly can, as much as we can comprehend him. And there are, of course, things that that is difficult. He is infinite. We are not. And so when he tells us that he is three persons but one God, we find that very hard to understand. It's beyond the limits of our comprehension but we trust that it's true because the infinite God who is more than we can understand has made himself known to us and I'll have a bit more to say about Trinity next week but because God makes himself known to us he makes his salvation known to us makes his grace known to us in his word that's why David is able to say your word is sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. Your word is more precious than gold, than much pure gold. Remember, this is Genesis to Deuteronomy that David is talking about. That is God's word that they had at the point that he lived. I don't know how many people come to Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and say these, these words are sweeter than honey and more precious than gold. Like we've said, there are many things in it that are difficult to understand, and as those who are not under the law of Moses in the same way as Israel was, sometimes it can be harder to understand what God wants to teach us through those pages. Sometimes understanding the spirit behind the law is more complex than just following a rule book. But what David sees when he comes to those things is not a rule book and a bunch of things he has to do. He sees in those pages an unfolding story of love and mercy from God who chose Israel despite the fact that they were nothing special but because of his promise to Abraham and who was using Israel to be a light to all the nations and who came and dwelt among them even though they were sinful because he wanted to be their God and to have them to be his people. And he rescued them from their slavery and did all of that 
entirely by grace. We think of the Old Testament as law and the New Testament as grace, but no, even then, the law was how they responded to the grace that God had shown them in becoming their saviour and their redeemer, not how they were saved. He sees a God who loved them and has shown them every mercy. And that's why he can say that your, your laws bring joy to the eyes. Your statutes bring light, uh, sorry, joy to the heart, brings light to the eyes. Your word refreshes the soul. Is God's word more precious to us than gold? Is God's word sweeter to us than honey? I know sometimes it isn't for me. Sometimes I treat coming to the Bible and reading it as a chore. There's a time, I won't dwell on this at length, but you know, I had my, my real battles with anxiety a couple of years ago. That's still there from time to time. And every time I would come to God's word, I would just see all of these things that I, I wasn't doing, all of these things I didn't measure up to. And there was no joy in that Bible reading because I wasn't seeing the God who loved me in those pages. I wasn't seeing how my measuring up was a problem, but how it was already fully dealt with in Christ. And about how he loved me knowing I would do all of those things and fail all of those times. So sometimes I think if we're finding it hard coming to God's word, what are we hearing from it? Are we hearing judgment and condemnation or are we finding love and mercy? Remember, I did say God's word will sometimes lovingly correct and rebuke us, but that's not condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Sometimes we don't delight in the word because I'm in a hurry to get on to other things. There's so much I need to do today, I'll just, I'll just read this bit and off we go. Um, and that's something I've had to work on myself is really carving out that time where we can stop and see what God is saying to us each day. Remember that it's written by the one who loves you more than you can possibly know. So let's take time in coming to the word and remembering how amazing it is that the God who made the universe speaks to us. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When I look at all that you have made and the glories of all that he has made, who is man that he is mindful of us, men and women that he would think of us? How amazing it is that he makes us wise and shows us the best way to live, not to burden us with rules, but to free us from dangers. How amazing it is that he wants to work through that word, that he would make us to be more like Jesus. And that he would work through this word to bring us to be with him forever. God doesn't call us to read the word as a chore, but to speak to us so that we can hear from him and so that he might bless us abundantly through it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you 
are mindful of us, that you care for us, that although you are over all of creation, you planned out each and every one of our days for us before one of them came to be. And knowing all, every single one of the ways that we would fail and get things wrong, that we would nurse anger and bitterness and bad attitudes, that we would hurt others and ourselves, that we would defy you. You chose us and you loved us and you rescued us through the blood of Jesus shed for us on the cross. Lord, I pray that you will just help us by your Spirit to hear, and hear from and delight in you when we come to your Word. May our quiet times in your Word be a blessing to us. May you grow us. May we come to see your authority in it and trust all that you have to say. May we come to see the usefulness in all of it and how it corrects us, how it shapes us, how it encourages us. And may you use it to make us more like Jesus. God, our delight in you and in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path.